Hi everyone, welcome to the Quantum Heart Cafe. I hope everyone has had a blessed week and weekend. And if you're new to the Quantum Heart Cafe, it's a place where I share my love of books, uh, topics such as such as metaphysics, spirituality, and find ways to try and relate what I'm learning in my books to uh, what's going on with current events, especially current events that aren't really being talked about anywhere, or they are being talked about, but it's just, it's in a smaller, like there's only maybe a few people talking about them, like they're not really getting the widespread attention that they need. And so um, I thought that, you know, I'd create a podcast that where, where I try and relate what I'm learning in my books or the stories that I'm reading to what's going on in the wider society. Uh, so that's where I thought, you know, maybe I'll try and get creative and share my, my love of books and just kind of talk about what I'm reading on, sh on the show and relating it to what's going on. And, and to be specific, it's more so the rollout of Web3, uh, the spatial web, and, uh, you know, this move towards a cybernetic society. Uh, because that's really important and I think it's something that is going to touch on our lives in a very deep way and I don't think a lot of people are aware of that just yet. You know, and of course I want to talk about other stuff too, like spirituality and you know, of course the, the metaphysics and stuff, but I feel like this is really important because I think that, you know, humanity, that we're at kind of like this, this important crossroads and that the decisions that we make matter. So that's why I wanted to create this podcast. And, you know, before I get into tonight's show, I also like to do a little bit of a moment of gratitude just to start us off um, to talk about, like, this past weekend, I just celebrated Mother's Day. Uh, so I'm just, you know, grateful for spending time with my mom and all the other uh, important uh, women in my life who have uh, influenced me and, and helped me become the person that I am today. So I'm really grateful for them. And uh, I hope everyone had a chance to celebrate, you know, Mother's Day. I know it can also be complicated because, you know, people have some, do have complicated relationships with their mothers and, and their sisters and stuff like that. So I just want to acknowledge that as well. It's not always a happy time. Um, and, uh, uh, following a moment of gratitude, I do like to talk about a little bit about the coffee that I'm drinking because it is a cafe, although it, well, it's a cafe in spirit. And I'm still drinking decaffeinated coffee because a lot of times I end up making these recordings in the evening. So if I have a cup of a regular cup of coffee, sometimes it could keep me up a little past my bedtime. <laughs> So I just decided, oh, you know, I'll try a decaf. And I got a really nice one from a local coffee roaster called Palette Coffee. And uh, I'm enjoying that so far. It has a really nice taste to it. Um, <clears throat> so, because, you know, part of the reason why I created this podcast is, is yes, to talk about important current events and topic, topics I'm interested in. But it's also because I just love coffee shops and, you know, the last three for the last three years it's been difficult to go to a ca cafe so 
I thought I would take the spirit of a coffee shop and, and put it in a podcast and see what happens. So <laughs> we'll see. So um, the next for tonight's series or tonight's episode, it's a continuation of a series uh, of a book I've been reading. It's called Emergence by Stephen Johnson. And the topic of emergence is also uh, called artificial emergence because um, it's related to complex adaptive systems and it's, it's in a way it's like designing a system so that it learns and it receives feedback and so there's a push in like as I said be earlier there's a push to create this cybernetic system and so what what's going on is um, we're having this push for a cybernetic system and that involves learning from feedback and adapting and improving because ultimately there are you know certain interests in society um, you know mostly the system is interested in creating and I know this sounds crazy uh, but it's in Oliver L. Riser's book The World Sensorium uh, where he talks about wanting to create this world super organism or a world brain and he's not the only one who's uh, talked about that and so if you're listening to this for the first time you're like what I'm, I'm just like I'm telling you it's real like it's in this book and so uh, part of that involves something called emergence which is like higher level forms of behavior so it's you know local or individual interactions among agents uh, to create a higher level type of behavior and uh, what in the last few uh, sections I've talked about how or I not really me but just kind of summarized what Stephen uh, Johnson has been writing about where he talks about research done being done with slime mold cells and ant colonies to better understand emergent behavior or artificial emergent behavior like when I say artificial emergent behavior and complex adaptive systems they're all they're pretty much interchangeable they they're very they mean the same thing and so they they study these researchers and these people that are interested in emergence um, they like to study social insects like ants and termites and, and bees so that they can understand how, you know, these individual agents interact with each other to create the higher level intelligence that's in the colony or in the, or a brain or something like that. So, um, I ended the last, uh, series. If you want to check out both of them, I've done two so far. Uh, ended and ended the last one uh, talking about Manchester and cities, and uh, ant colonies. And I'm gonna tonight. I'm gonna pick up where I left off last week. And so, if you want to, you can go back and check those check out those shows, um, so that you're kind of caught up for this. And essentially, what uh, where he left off is talking about how, you know, a, a certain man. Uh, named Alan Turing uh, had visited Manchester because he talks about uh, Stephen talks about Manchester as an example of um, artificial emergence or you know higher level behavior because 
you know, he talks about Manchester was like the center of the Industrial Revolution and there is this explosion in population and how the town almost kind of created itself because for a while Manchester didn't have, you know, official city planners and stuff. It just kind of put itself together. And so he takes that as an example of emergent behavior. And, um, and then even after the city planners and stuff like that, you know, talking about how cities and uh, have display sort of like a super organism type behavior. So that's kind of where we left off last week. And he talks about, and so he continues talking a little bit about, about, about Manchester and how uh, Alan Turing visited Man Manchester a, a little while ago, probably in before the 50s, because um, he came to Manchester to run the university's embryonic lab. And uh, he, Turing thought about uh, using math and pattern recognition to solve the problems of biological development. So this led him to uh, writing the essay, The Chemical Basis for, Mor for Morphogenesis. And I know last show I mentioned that in trying to, to read the paper, I didn't get a chance to read it and I ran out of ink uh, for my printer and I'm hoping I can get uh, a copy printed off this weekend and then read that maybe on a separate show because it sounds like a really interesting paper and if you aren't familiar with Alan, Alan Turing, he was pretty, uh, he was one of the central figures in World War II with the, within the kind of like the code breaking and intelligence area. He helped to, uh, break the Enigma machine to, and, um, you know, break all the, the codes, the German codes during World War II. And he was also responsible for creating some of the earliest computers so he has a pretty important history and and then um so and Stephen talks about how during the war effort alan turing also visited the bell labs um in manhattan on the west coast in new york because uh, he helped to work on encryption schemes, uh, including transmitting heavy, heavily coded waveforms that he could that could be then decoded with human speech as a key. Uh, and he also thought about using a a vocal a vo vocoder. I hope I said that right as a way to encrypt human speech. So he was really heavily involved with the intelligence and. Um, you know, the signals and, and coding and stuff like that. So he had a major role to play in there. That's why he's, he is important. Um, and, you know, he did have an interest in this sort of higher level behavior. I don't think he was aware of artificial emergence or he might have just been starting to learn about it. And then he, he was killed or he died because I think he was, uh, they, uh, yeah, he, yeah he, he was killed, so he didn't get a chance to like continue his work in uh, emergence, but uh, he did start off by writing that the paper, the, the chemical basis for morphogenesis. So he, 
uh, in the book, Stephen does mention how, like, first scientists started started uh, trying to understand basic science and the laws of nature and so on, and then eventually scientists began to stumble onto what would become studies in emergent beha behavior and uh, complex adaptive systems, and, and then he argues that now, you know, ever since the 90s, now people and like companies and uh, cities and so on are trying to create, are creating, are actually creating emergence, like they're creating uh, artificial emergence, like, you know, for example, like social media is an example of an artificial emergence, the game SimCity, um, he actually does talk about the creator of the game of SimCity, and I'm going to talk about that in tonight's show. Uh, but this, those sim, those sim games, like think about you know the word simulation, as being um, an example of artificial emergence. So there's already these systems and that have been created, and now the goal is to kind of take all these divergent <laughs> uh, artificial systems. And bring them into one, you know, with using things like the blockchain and so on, um, so that ultimately they could have this super organism. And again, I know that sounds crazy, but it's just you know, as I've been learning about this, and I've also been following a really important researcher. Her name is her name's Allison McDowell, and I'll <clears throat> leave a link to her blog for anyone who wants to learn more because it's really important stuff, and uh, she's done excellent work into and and also writing about uh, artificial emergence but also about like token economics and human human capital finance and how those all um kind of work together to create this cybernetic system so it's really important and i'll i'll, I'll definitely leave a link to her blog um if you want to learn more um and then while at while uh alan so I'm going to continue on with uh, the book or this section of the book. So while Alan Turing was at the Bell Labs, he met Claude Shannon, I think, yeah, who was the founder of informa information theory. And information theory explores the boundaries of noise and information. So that kind of makes me think about frequency. And I know that they've been doing a lot of research into frequencies and you know, cert using certain frequencies to influence people and influence life. But then there's also natural frequencies. Like there's the free, Earth has a frequency. There's the frequencies that, you know, the space, the universe has that, you know, there's a, like the source God, if you will, or the, cre the creator being like there, I feel like there's those natural spiritual frequencies and then there's these artificial frequencies that you know certain in, that the system is trying to overlay on top of that so it can place itself between us and the creator energy or the god energy if you will um <clears throat> so turing and shannon spent time together and they had a lot of conversations about how earth could be populated by more intelligent machines <clears throat> as well and they also talked about how um, the possibility of electronic brains that would be capable of the same level of pattern recognition as human beings and I don't 
<clears throat> I'm not sure if those electronic brains are referring to like that superorganism that I was just talking about, but you know, there is trying to there is an effort to try and you know have artificial intelligence being able to learn um, and have the same intelligence that human beings have. Um, so out of the two, Ashana wanted to fight, wanted to feed the machine more cultural material like music uh, because he thought uh, we could train machines to recognize and appreciate musical patterns. Um, and then what was also really interesting was that Turing, Turing and Shannon and Norbert Wiener were colleagues at Bell Labs. And so Norbert Wiener, if you don't know who he is, he's actually the guy who wrote the book on cybernetics. So they're all kind of connected to each other. And these are, these connections are pretty important. Um, and I will be going into a biography of uh, Stephen Johnson in the next show. I just didn't get a chance to uh, include that in this one. Um, and then Stephen, and then throughout, throughout the, as I as I started kind of reading through the la latter part of section one, because tonight I'm just focus focusing on section one. Probably should have said that at the beginning, but uh, because there's so much detail in the book, like I'm kind of breaking it down, which is why I turned it into a series. And so, um, you know, after discussing, after Stephen discusses Turing and his, you know, his connection with Shannon, he also starts talking about Warren Weaver's work on complexity theory, uh, including the essay he composed for, for the Rockefeller Foundation in 1932. And yes, the, the Rockefeller Foundation is involved in a lot of this stuff, but I think it's really important to remember that it's just not one institution or one person or, you know, this is a system. It's like these institutions and, and personalities are, I mean, from the system's point of view, they're all agents. They're all interchangeable. You know, you could take someone like Bill Gates and, you know, kind of have him go off to the wayside somewhere and, and have someone else replace him. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, it's not the person per se that's an issue. I mean, yes, they are. There are certain individuals that are issues, <laughs> you know, they're, like they are, you know, their behavior is not, not good, but um, it's the system itself because it's, you know, as soon as that person or that institution outlives its usefulness, the system will just bring something else in that can continue to serve the purpose of this complexity theory or this emergence, um, this cybernetic reality that it wants. Um, so uh, Weaver thought of complexity theory as a unifying field that draws on physics, molecular biology, computer science, information theory, etc. And Weaver then, uh, dis he also describes, um, you know, kind of like how I said earlier that, you know, science, that, like the history, like Weaver talks about the history of science and how, um, you know, at first back in like the I guess the ancient Greek days, because they're always obsessed about Greece. They never talk about all the other amazing civilizations that existed well before Greece. But anyway, so they go back to Greece, and he, you know, he talks about how they were studying simple systems like learning the laws of nature and so on. 
and then uh, you know eventually you know people from different disciplines started learning about you know they didn't call it artificial emergence but they kind of started learning a bit more like it started popping up and then eventually you know it, it they we get to the point now where we're creating or where companies and corporations and people are creating artificial intelligence and what's interesting is he also what I thought was interesting is he also brought up how um, statistics is really useful because he does talk a bit about statistics and then also uh, self-organizing systems or the the complexity theory and he talks about how uh, statistics is really good for understanding like a big a big size a big sample size of people or of whatever it is that you're trying to measure like it's good for the bigger those bigger measurements and then <clears throat> and then using um, probability and the statistics to kind of find like the big overall patterns about what's going on and then the self-organization systems are more um, looking at how all the variables are interrelated and like how interactions create higher level forms of behavior so it's it's almost like statistics and probability goes along with complexity theory but then the stats and probability um, kind of provide an overall picture and then the complexity theory gives the details at least that's how I kind of understood it um, and in her work, Alison McDowell has often talked about game theory and economics. And economics, because I, I did study business a little bit, and I took a couple of economics courses. Not a lot. I'm not a, you know an expert in it. I do remember taking stats and probability. And statistics and probability are heavily used in game theory uh, just and economics just to find like an, the overall picture but they can be problematic and maybe that's a, another show in of itself but this kind of provides the overall you know like I said the big picture view of a system and then the complexity theory kind of looks at how the higher level behavior and patterns in the system that are being created from people or you know the system calls it a like in complexity theory they're not people they're agents so how agents are interacting with each other. Each other. Um, and then he also kind of gives, uh, Warren Weaver also gave an example of organized and disorganized systems. Uh, an organized system is, it, so the organized system would be like the complexity theory. And he was also saying that statistics and probability aren't really helpful for organized uh, systems because uh, there's specific patterns emerge with agents interacting with each other and they create them creating that like I said they the interactions create like the overall higher level behavior that they want and it's and they do this by you know with their interactions they with their interactions with each other but through also following rules like simple rules uh, you know, depending on what the parameters are in the system, 
or in the simulation. So, you know, statistics can't really help with that. But where statistics, but like I said, where statistics and probability do come in is with the disorganized system. So that's like the big sample sizes because they provide an overall prediction about the system's behavior and those kind of general big picture patterns and stuff. Um, but the agents in the disorganized system don't create higher level of behavior. I hope that helps because like later on I'll start also including examples that I've seen you know on social media. I'm not really much on social media anymore but I'm kind of glad I got off it because I just feel like it's kind of part of a simulation and you know you, where you have people like where it's easy to get people on a certain like a, on a pathway like get them all fired up and energized and through the posts that there's that they're seeing on their feeds and they're interacting the comments and their interactions that people have with each other and it's just easy to manipulate and and put people on a certain pathway and I've I've experienced that myself personally like and I'll share some of that as I continue with the series um, and then what's it also interesting is uh, Stephen Johnson brings up uh, his name is Oliver Selfridge and he was a pioneer in artificial intelligence and who was interested in teaching computers how to learn um, and again, Norbert uh, Wiener was his dissertation advisor. So all these guys are like connected to each other. Um, and he worked on military control projects. So, you know, a lot of the artificial emergence, a lot of the, the internet and the web, you know, these devices weren't created by, you know, just average Joes. A lot of it came out of the military. And I think it's important to keep that in mind because a lot of this technology has dual use, which means that there's a personal use, but then there's also another use that's often associated with the military or intelligence organizations. And it's really important, to, I think that's really important to bear that in mind as we're interacting with these, you know, these, these technologies and so on. Um, Selfridge also read Paradise Lost, <laughs> which inspired him to teach computers how to recognize patterns and I thought that was interesting because I looked up Paradise Lost and it was written by John Milton and it's a book about how I mean I've never read it I don't really have a desire to read it but it's about um, the fall the fallen angels and how you know Adam and Eve were corrupted in the garden like I'm not really interested in that stuff but I just find it kind of interesting and eye-raising that it was this particular book that inspired him to try and teach computers how to recognize patterns. <laughs> um, I, I'm not entirely sure why, but okay. And then he also envisioned with his programs um, demon shrieking. I know that sounds so weird, like, but th this was what Stephen was writing in his book, and it, I guess it's what uh, Oliver Selfridge was interested in um, because he thought that the demon shrieking would be related to teaching computers how to learn. I'm not sure how, but anyway, so he uses the word 
uh, pandemonium, which is the Greek word for all the demons. And uh, Selfridge wanted to teach computers how to recognize patterns and in information um, that's like ill-defined or erratic. So Selfridge relied on a bottom, uh, like a bottom-up distributed intelligence, and he created a swarm of many programs called demons. And he envisioned the lower level demons shrieking up to the higher level demons. And that's kind of, it's that lower level behavior, like the so-called simple components that, you know, in artificial immersions that interact with each other to create that higher level of behavior. So for, you know, for the pandemonium program or whatever it was called, the, the shrieking or uh, Selfridge imagined that if you had 26 low-level demons and a master demon, like the 26 low-level demons representing a letter in the alphabet, and then you had the master demon, um, each demon, you know, each of the demons representing the letter uh, would uh, shriek up to the higher-level demon if they saw their letter, like if if someone was feeding them a series of words and they see their letter, they'll shriek up to the, the master. Uh, all letter recognizers would report to the master and the master would pick the demon with the highest confidence. At the end of the transmission, there would be a working interpretation of the text based on demon democracy. Oh my God, <laughs> this was so weird. Like reading this was weird. I've never heard of demon democracy. I mean, I don't even think that regular democracy exists, but demon democracy, okay, whatever. Um, it's a bit weird, but uh, Salford, he was, that's what he imagined. So um, Selfridge was after a larger goal. I wanted to teach the machines how to, and, how, and wanted to teach the machines how to recognize letters and teach the machines how to learn. Um, he thought that by adding another layer of demons and a feedback process uh, would also help uh, grade their guesses. So this is really important part of artificial emergence is that feedback. Um, so he would, you know, he would still feed the feed these letters or these words to this these demon programs and then. Uh, they would, you know, shriek up to the main demon, but I think that he would add another layer in between, like, the master and the low-level ones that would uh, kind of judge the the guesses and would offer feedback. So, who, from what I understood, the, you know, the demons who offered the correct guesses, their reports would go to the the main, the master demon, and then whoever offered the, oh, and then the ones that didn't, didn't provide the correct guesses, they would be kind of like weeded out or something. At least that's what I understood when I read that. Um, so pretty much if the, you know, if the, the connections would be, uh, strengthened if the, between the, letters in the word if the demons were correct and then if they weren't correct then the connections would 
kind of like disappear over time. I hope that makes sense, but like the feedback is a really important uh, feature of artificial emergence because it needs a way to learn, right? To learn us or to learn nature. So they need a, a kind of like a feedback loop where if they do something, then the system receives the results and they kind of learn and it becomes like this, this loop. Uh, this positive feedback loop. Um, and then Selfridge thought that uh, his pandemonium of demons also reminded him of DNA and natural selection. And this natural selection comes up quite a bit in the book, like the Darwinian natural selection, where um, where it's like they want artificial intelligence like these the programs they cr they create kind of have this natural selection where only you know if they make a bunch of programs they will compete with each other and then the best programs will get to reproduce I, I hope that makes sense I'm not really a fan of natural selection I don't like Darwinian theory like uh, I think the, the book I was reading before this one was worlds in collision by Emanuel Velikovsky and that was a really interesting and eye-opening book and it just kind of shows me that you know the universe isn't always as beautiful I mean it is beautiful but it isn't always like this uniform thing catastrophes happen things happen and you know it's never this like perfect progression towards some ultimate goal that there's that things happen so and that's never talked about and I'm not really into natural selection either because I've often seen it used as ways to justify that certain people or certain ways of being are better than others and it's like you know this dominator mindset which Stephen Newcomb talks about in Pagans in the Promised Land which is an excellent book I recommend reading it because um, he talks about the you know how the palpable bulls, which was created by the Pope, uh, was used as justification for the kind of like the, the, you know the the doctrine of discovery, where uh, which was used to justify colonialism uh, in the New World or on Turtle Island. So, uh, and in it, he talks about. Um, you know this dominator mindset, this dominator dominator language, which talks about like superior beings and like inferior beings, and how you know certain groups or certain ways of being or certain ways of thinking are better than others because you know a certain group of people say so. It kind of feels like that when I hear about natural selection. So I'm not really I'm kind of iffy on it myself. I'm not really a fan of it. Um, and so when I see that these people that are trying to learn or trying to, are studying artificial emergence and studying artificial intelligence, talking about natural selection, it does kind of make me uneasy, uh, about what they want. And I do, I mean, Oliver L. Reiser in his book, The World Sensorium, did talk about, um, you know, this social evolution. And I kind of get a little, you know, 
maybe worries not the maybe yeah actually maybe a little concerned and worried when I hear people talk about that stuff because it's just you know through all throughout history it's shown that there's never really a good ending for that like people get hurt because of that type of thinking um but anyway I'll, I'm gonna continue on with Stephen's Stephen's book because I feel like I'm like you know I could go off on this whole tangent and then just maybe I'll talk about that in another show um okay so yeah, he talk, so Selfridge talks about how his pandemonium program reminds him of DNA and natural selection. So the natural selection being of the demons. Uh, so those who serve a useful purpose get to you know, produce sub-demons, which are based on their merits. And then those that aren't useful, well, they're weeded out and they're not allowed to carry on their legacy, I guess. Um, and then he al- and then Stephen now argues that the world now swarms with millions of demons. <laughs> so I mean, I do. It's it's so weird that he talks about that because it's. I mean, I have been learning a little bit about astrology, and really cool astrology teacher, uh, Rabina uh, Rastabin, and she's uh, got a really cool YouTube channel. Uh, where she talks about, uh, oh, you know, she does a lot of like uh, chart readings and stuff, and oftentimes she mentions uh, asteroids. And there's one asteroid in particular that's named Algol. I think I, s- I hope I said that right, but it's an asteroid that's considered very mis- or sorry, it's not, I don't think sorry, it's not an asteroid. It's a fixed star. I meant to say fixed star. It's not not an asteroid, but. Um, it's a fixed star, and when it shows up in a, it's considered to be very unfortunate. Like it's, um, you know, there's not a whole lot of good stuff associated with that fixed star, and it is a, an algol is c- associated with demons, and if you think of algorithm, like algol, so it, it's just weird. It's like it's so weird that they talk about that stuff. Um, okay, and then. So, because uh, we're kind of getting close to the end, I don't have too much left uh, in the presentation. So, he, as uh, we're getting, as I kind of started f- almost finishing part one, Stephen talks about another important person in the artificial intelligence, which is uh, John Henry Holland. Um, John Henry Holland was an American scientist and professor of psychology and electrical engineering and computer science at the University of Michigan. Um, And he was a pioneer in what became known as the genetic algorithm. Uh, He worked with IBM to develop the first commercial calculator, the 701. And he tried to make the calculator learn from, you know, kind of like a organic bottom-up point of view, but it didn't work out. (laughs) And he's been studying how like simple rules lead to complex behavior so once again like it's you know he's also been involved in learning complex adaptive system which is you know artificial emergence and Holland wants to use natural selection which he viewed as an open-ended bottom-up system for computer programs so and he built upon uh, Selfridge's pandemonium model he called his new creation the genetic algorithm. 
Um, so a traditional, so according to Holland, a traditional software program is a series of instructions, and Holland imagines something else. Um, you know, to set up a gene pool of possible software, and let successful programs evolve out of the soup. Holland uh, founded or found parallels between computer programs and Earth, uh, Earth's life, Earth's uh, life forms. Um, that they depend on a master code for existence, and I guess the master code would be the simple coiled DNA, and he kind of relates that to like the binary ones and zeros evolved with uh, the computers. Uh, and then the genetic algorithm was an attempt to capture the natural process in uh, silicon. So Holland software, uh, it also had like a genotype, which would be the code, and a phenotype, which is what the code did. Um, and then in natural selection, these codes would compete and only the fittest would survive. The programs would make it to the next generation if they did a better job at completing or accomplishing a certain uh, task like versus the other programs. And then the programmer was the one deciding what the tasks, what tasks the program would need to do and then it was up to the program to figure out how to complete the tasks on its own without instructions from the programmer. Um, and then this is really interesting because it kind of, um, he talks about, he then, so after talking about Holland, uh, Stephen Johnson starts talking about connection machines and the work of Danny, Danny Hills, David Jefferson and Chuck Taylor and this kind of relates back to the ants uh, that I was talking about in the second series last week where he brought up Deborah Gordon's work with harvester ants so this but this is more so talking about E.O. Wilson's work with ants who is another person that was interested in emergence and he was studying computers and he had this um, you know he was trying to relate um, again, like art, the social animals and their behavior to humans, and trying to see if he can create like a artificial emergence. Um, so Danny Hills uh, was involved with these uh, connection machines, uh, which were the first machines to explore Holland's genetic algorithm. So there were connection machines were specifically created to study artificial intelligence and the connection machines uh, they were able to simulate the behavior of ants with the help of David Johns Jefferson and uh, Chuck Taylor who created uh, a tracker program back in the mid 80s so uh, Jefferson said to watch if you want if you wanted to watch Darwinian Darwinianism in action, all you needed was to have objects that can reproduce themselves perfectly, uh, then introduce scarcity and competition. So he decided to do that with software and to have the software reproduce itself uh, imperfectly and have them compete with other software programs for scarce resources. And what one of the things that inspired Jefferson to do that was when he read E.O. Wilson's work on ants and the ant computers. Um, so he decided to run 
a virtual ant simulation. And this is really important stuff because it kind of does have parallels with these social media platforms and these virtual worlds that, you know, they want to put us all in like the metaverse. Or well, not put us in, but they want to increasingly blend like this virtual reality or augmented reality with the natural world and do these simulations. So this is really important stuff. Um, so this is the tracker program, which was the ant simulation I just talked about. So Jefferson wanted a task that simple creatures could follow and it wasn't obvious how, how the, and it wasn't obvious like how the, how the programmer, or like the rules or it wasn't obvious what the overall objective of the program was. Like that's another really important feature of artificial emergence is that the individual agents aren't aware of the big picture. Like they're not aware of the system. So it, at least to me, it sounds like Jefferson wanted to create a task that the, these simple creatures could follow, but they wouldn't be aware of like the overall program or the overall system. Uh, so through, okay, so through sniffing and moving around a noisy broken path, out of the 16,000 virtual ants, those who scored the highest because they landed on the correct path would be allowed to reproduce. And this is really important because I don't know if you've noticed this, I have noticed it and, and Alice McDowell has talked about it quite a bit is these education pathways and these career pathways that they talk about. And actually, uh, Jason, Jason Bosch, another really good um, researcher, he's done some videos on um, more talking about like the career pathways and how, you know, they want people to be skilled and reskilling pretty much every five years or so. And so they want to like nudge people on these onto these pathways and get them to go down certain paths um, that the system deems would be beneficial for it. And so it almost makes me feel that way. Like we're like the, the virtual ants that through nudges and through, you know, the social media content that we're involved with and through these education pathways that they want to put us on that would be, you know, would be directed and manipulated and steered in a certain direction that the system wants. So it's not about what we want as individuals, but it's about what the system deems to be important or useful. And if it's not important and useful, then, you know, it doesn't get to move further, I guess, or it doesn't, you know, get all the prizes. I don't, I don't know. So the, okay, so to, I want to, to, so I'm going to talk for a little further more about the tracker program. Um, the strategies for navigating the path would be up to the ants. And um, the path was called the John Murr path after the environmentalist. I guess he was also interested in emergence. I didn't really look him up too much, but I'm just kind of, going off with some of my notes. Um, the program started off simple. So the program would start off simple with easy turns and straight uh, sections, then get more complicated. 
Uh, so, and then Jefferson and Taylor rigged the system to provide real-time updates on the top performing ants in each generation. This kind of reminds me of like, you know, in games, and games are, you know, pretty big in this artificial emergence too, like the simulation, but how in games there's like leaderboards that shows you the top players or, um, you know, if they get us all in the blockchain and they have us all scored and all this data and stuff, then they would see who's the top person in a community or who's the top person in like a, a university or an institution or something. And then, you know, they would get to further their career and while the lower performers don't, like it kind of reminds me of that episode of Black Mirror uh, Nosedive where, you know, those with the best social scores you know, they got the nice houses and the good jobs and then those with like worse scores or with no scores at all were completely pushed out of society. Um, and it kind of feels like that. Um, or I think like there's an analogy between that and, you know, this, this social score type thing. Um, so after only a hundred generations, the ants had a perfect score and the software succeeded in evolving expert trail followers even when the generation had no skills given to them uh, so rather than engineer a solution they, they evolved one and they kind of do want to and again this reminds me of the social evolution so maybe instead of like engineering evolution they also it's like they want to socially evolve I hope that makes sense but like instead of having an engineered solution they have an evolved one like that I don't know, that feels, that kind of makes me think of, like, the the social evolution and, like, the the super organisms that they are talking about, or that Stephen Johnson and Oliver L. Reiser are talking about. Um, okay, so they had, there was also a range of possible programs with feedback mechanisms that would allow more advanced programs to emerge, and then some of the programs learned how to adapt to their specific environments, which is also another uh, feature of complex uh, complex adaptive systems, is that they they get the feedback from the environment, so then they're able to kind of change their behavior and accommodate accordingly. Um, so that's another really important feature of artificial emergence is that feedback and learning. Um, and so the tracker program was considered a breakthrough program because it allowed for the for simulation of emergence, or I should say the simulation of artificial emergence. And so after the tracker program, about in the mid-90s, William Wright uh, released a game called SimCity 2000. It's funny because I remember that game because when I was going to school in, in the 90s, we had the computer labs, like they did start introducing this stuff in the schools in the 90s, like it's not new, um, <clears throat> but it was more so contained and it wasn't like every kid had a computer or a Chromebook, which is what they're doing to kids now, like they're shoving this stuff in their face. Um, and I remember the computers in the computer lab had the SimCity 2000 game on it because I played it and I did, uh, I mean, I didn't really understand it too much. I was seven, but I did play it. And um, this 
game, The SimCity 2000, it marked the phase of the creation of artificial emergence. So it marked the phase where, you know, people stopped studying, just studying emergence, and they started creating it. Because, um, uh, and, and ever since then, like, artificial emergence has been built and interacted with it, especially in, like, the gaming world. And now there's creation of markets for it. And what was also important about SimCity was that it wasn't really, like, a scientific, like, it's something that was only focused on, the, like, science or math. It was artificial intelligence that involved culture and entertainment. So it's, it found a wider audience rather than just being, like I said, focused on science and math. Um, and that's kind of how we've had these artificial emergence and these simulations so, slowly starting to creep into our lives because it's already happening. Like it's not, um, you know, this stuff isn't new. Like it's been around for a little while now. Um, but now there's this push, there's this focus to go towards, you know, this cybernetic society. And I don't think most people realize it just yet. I think they're starting to, you know, people are starting to ask some questions. Um, but we really need to start having these discussions because it is going to, if it's allowed to roll out, it's going to drastically change our lives and also the, the lives of other living beings on planet Earth. So that's why, you know, this stuff is important. And I know it's like, it's maybe it's not the most exciting topic in the planet, but it's important. And so I'll, I'm going to continue. So I'm going to leave it there because it's almost, you know, I think I've put in a good, a good show today and I'm going to leave it there. Um, next week, I'm going to talk about the, start talking about part two of, uh, emergence. And that's gotten really interesting because Steven Johnson starts to go a bit deeper into Deborah Gordon's work on ants and offers more information about what artificial emergent systems are and, and more of the characteristics and stuff. And I think it's important to keep those things in mind, especially as we're interacting with these, you know, social media platforms and all this technology, like just how this thing could be a simulation, if that makes sense. Like, you know, if, maybe if you're reading in a, an opinion piece on Facebook or you see something on YouTube and it's making you feel a certain way, maybe taking a step back and thinking like, you know, critically thinking about what we're reading and, and how we're feeling about what we're reading. And it's just like, is this the purpose of this piece to make me feel this way? Um, you know, who is this piece really for? And just starting to reflect on what it is that is being put in front of our face, especially because the algorithms like really try to like, um, uh, what's that word? They, you know, they show us stuff based on what it thinks we like. I know there's a, a word for it. Like maybe curate is a word that like curates content based on our behaviors and, and the history and stuff like that. So anyway, so thank you so much for stopping by the cafe. I hope you, uh, enjoyed it. Hope you learned something and I hope you check out the book. Emergence is really interesting. Um, and I hope you check out Allison McDowell's blog. It's a really important blog. Lots of really good information. She also has a YouTube channel. I'll link to that as well. And I also link to uh, Jason J Jason Bosch's 
um, YouTube as Ar Argus Fest, um, and he's done a, a number of videos on also on the rollout of um, Web three and and all this you know this push towards the cybernetic society, which is also really important. So I'm gonna leave it there, and I'll see you guys next Wednesday. And I hope everyone has a blessed week and weekend and uh, wherever you are, you, and just enjoy the, the being in your human being. Okay, take care. Bye-bye.